So sports car engineering legend, huh? Is that buttering you up? Uh, Brad <laughs> Kettler. <laughs> Thank if you, you could describe this uh, lunch at your home in one word, what would it be? Appreciative for this beautiful day and you guys to come here and to share some of these stories together. That's so damn pleasant. You're too nice for us. Yeah. <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Dinner with Racers. I'm Ryan Eversley, alongside Sean Heckman. Hey! And I'm Ryan Eversley again. We are currently sitting in a traffic jam on the 110 freeway headed to LAX to wrap up this 40-day journey that took us across 29 states and over 12,000 miles in a Honda Odyssey running a, a certain... Well, a certain kind of tire. Continental Tire. Cross Contact LX20. All in the name of bringing you a free podcast that you've been very gracious for. Although I'm sure once season two comes out, you'll complain about its comparison to season one. However, one of the awesome things about season two was our uh, passing through an interesting city called College Corner. Uh, and I don't name the state for a very specific reason, because College Corner is somewhere between Ohio and Indiana. It actually shares both states. Uh, but within that is the legendary Brad Kettler. Uh, for those who don't know who Brad Kettler is, he's more of a behind-the-scenes guy. Uh, he's been in the sport for a very long time. He currently runs Kettler Motor Works, but he's most synonymous with all of the North American efforts uh, with Audi over the last 15 or so years. Uh, and that includes all of the LMP1 programs that have run out here, um, all of the current Audi Sport customer racing programs. He's sort of the guy when it comes to the operation of the racing side of the business. So, uh, But he's just a cool guy with a, with a ton of insight. So I've known Brad Kettler a really long time. We talk about it a little bit in the episode, but he worked for my dad back when my dad had his own big race shop years and years ago and so we have a photo of him and i together from a christmas card back when i think it was six or seven years old and uh it's neat to just get to sit down with him and, and drink a beer with him and just kind of see him away from the, the the racetrack but what i notice is that he's the same guy all the time he doesn't have a racetrack brad keller or a home life brad keller so we actually didn't go out we ate at his farm right at shea kettler that's right and uh, I believe I had the homemade chili that his girlfriend prepared for us. Uh, and she made me a chicken sandwich. She did. She made one chicken sandwich for you. And the rest of us ate the chili. Also worth noting, before we listen to Brad, uh, at the time of this recording, the announcement had not yet been made about the uh, closing of Audi's LMP1 program. Obviously, that would have made its way into the discussion if that was sort of official news at that point. However, since it wasn't, uh, it doesn't come up just to sort of tell you that right now. But still, ton of cool stories. And without wasting any more time, because Brad doesn't, let's get going. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. You can hear us okay? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Let me have you. Actually, that's probably okay. Count to ten for me. One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, seven, eight, go. nine, ten. Cool. Yeah, we don't do any introductions or anything. We just kind of go. Okay. So. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> so this is what it's like to be McNish or... You know, Christensen, getting to hear Brad on the radio. On the radio, yeah. exactly. He's like, stop it, pit now. Yeah, <laughs> I always tried to uh, 
my radio protocol, I always tried to be very calm. Yeah. Even though I wasn't inside, uh, <laughs> I tried to be, you know, very direct, very calm, not get you know terribly excited and start screaming and right. carrying on because it doesn't make you go any faster. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and it usually doesn't help the communication stream. So I mean, the guys always liked my my voice on the radio, even though they said it was quite soft. Mm -hmm. So in a loud environment, it doesn't carry very well. So I always had to be very careful about how I pronounced it. And I also studied a little bit radio protocol for airplane oh, traffic yeah. and so forth. So you actually, at Champion, we had uh, an approved, uh, you know, basically a vocabulary list of the words that we tried to always use on the radio. Sure, for clarity. So, right, for clarity. So right. even if the even if the clarity was bad or the communication was garbled or whatever, the cadence of the words right. would very often paint the picture. Right. Because mm -hmm. if they're all they're standard if the guys are used to the same response, you know, the you know, full service, you know, box now, you know, always using the same terms would would help them in the event that they weren't really clear. Right. Like if we had a crackly right. you know, break up or somebody's the key in the mic. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like road backside at Road Atlanta. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're coming out of seven and you get some half message but because the cadence is there and the, the length of the words is something you're familiar with, you connect to right. it, confirm it back and uh and it works out okay. So I listen to some of the radio protocol on some of the radios from the not only just the customer teams, just the general scan in the paddock. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm appalled at the way <laughs> some, of the, some of the guys talk on that. I mean, they just don't realize how much the driver is really relying on the the clear picture the in his head. Wording. Yeah. The specific wording, the length yep. of it. I can't name any Audi customer teams <laughs> that have that a driver. Maybe have a driver that gets excited on the radio and engineer. Who yeah. Oh yeah. Shits, oh so. yeah. Oh my God. I mean, Andy this year was hilarious <laughs> to listen to. Because you've never really heard Andy before this year. Right? I didn't have that much that much exposure with Andy yeah, before yeah. this year, yeah, yeah. and I was I knew Lars pretty good, and yeah. he's so dry. Yeah. And, and could give a. Right. And he's so dry and so measured in his right. delivery of things. And, yep, we'll check into these f***ing guys. You know, yeah. Tell them, yeah. You know, go up to the tower. Yep, okay, Andy, <laughs> we'll get right on that. Yeah. You know, and just basically give him his moment. Yeah. And within a lap, he'd be back together. You're right. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. what happened, Lars? Yeah. You know. And that's, uh, if Andy was here, he would resent everything you just said. But he um, knows it's true. But it's 100% it's true. It's 100% yeah. true. <laughs> he, can't, he cannot stand how Lars is with him. Yeah. yeah. But it's because Lars knows exactly how he's yeah, feeling. Yeah, they've him. been working together for so long. Right. Yeah. He's like, it, yeah, it's, like, a, it's a cool relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. a cool relationship. And I and I give that the, the check and balance of that relationship really a lot of credit. Because yeah. I've been lucky enough to work with a couple of guys that I got that close to. Uh -huh. That I could be that direct with like jj for example sure and jj is this is uh, jj leto jj leto yeah. jj was absolutely blast to work with but really hard to handle sometimes okay he was tough he's really aggressive he's you really had to kind of bring him in off the ledge once in a while you know because he was his own worst enemy when he got too spooled up i mean he he would he would still drive within his limits, but then he would start calculating some sort of retribution sure. or some kind of thing. <laughs> and you just had to kind of steer him off of that path. Right. You know? right. And um, and he's also, you know, hard-headed type A Scandinavian guy. Yeah. And very difficult to convince sure. he was wrong. Yeah. Or sure. to sure. change, to try to something different. And, 
But I enjoyed working with him. But I got to the point where I could shout him down. So JJ, that's bullshit. We're not doing that. Yeah, right. Just, you, this is the program you got. This is what you got to work with. You know, Marco's sticking. I mean, I would, I would, I would play with him a little bit. I said, Marco's sad. His lips sticking out. You know, because <laughs> um, you're unhappy in the car. I said, you know, you're hurting all of us here. You know, just get your head back in it and get going. And he would. Um, you know, so I, I rate Andy the same way. I mean, you've you see him come apart, but then the next lap, he's like, okay, Lars, where are we? Yeah, What's going on? Exactly. And then he's heads back down. The car was delivered here, hmm, I'm going to say, late November, early December last yep. year. And we PDI'd it right away. The team came out. For um, people who don't know what PDI is. Uh, pre-delivery inspection. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we checked the car. When the cars come into the country, we pick them up in Atlanta. We bring them up here. We basically take all the panels off and just double-check everything's right. tight, all the embedded equipment's the way it needs to be, and we do a basic setup on the car and a function check so that when the customers get them, they're basically turnkey right. uh, deals. And fortunately, the team came out, which we highly encourage. The team came out. We went through the setup together. Um, you know, we drank a couple beers with the team in the shop. You know, Magnus. Yeah, oh yeah. Weird. They drank. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, the team that Lars runs. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we got to know each other a little bit. Yeah. They left our shop. They went directly to Sebring. They had a totally successful two-day uh, test. And Andy emailed me back right away afterward. He says, I "Absolutely love this car." Yeah. He says, "I love this thing, and I'm gonna get my head around it completely, yeah. with a little bit more time." Right. And the time he spent talking with Renee uh, about the car, about Renee how to Rast. drive it, how to Renee yeah. Rast, how to place it, you know, how to use it, um, you know, how to save fuel in it. Um, uh, it was a great cross-communication right. between uh, Renee and, and Andy. Those guys really worked on, you know, winning that race this year was really a you function. About Daytona. Uh, yeah, Daytona, yeah. yeah. Right. Winning Daytona this year was really a function of the, the fuel economy of the final two stints mm-hmm. and what that meant and that so much of that was practiced from what Rene learned in the simulator yep. back home in Ingolstadt yep. and what he was able to share with Andy and so forth and then ultimately Rene's final stint in the car yeah. uh, where he saved all the fuel ran everybody else out of fuel and beat them yeah. Yeah. and cool. uh, yep. it was it was it was well played. Yeah. The whole team played it really well, and I have a lot of time for Andy. I have a lot of time for Lars, right. and I like John as an owner, John Potter, and uh, I like Lars because he's clever and he's dry and calculating, <laughs> yeah. sarcastic, and, and uh, very very smart guy. And he's in control. He's, you know, uh, I one of my jumping around here a little bit, but one of my things with with Yost that I have done so long and I still do, although not as actively is help finish young engineers. Yeah. And it's in particular people, first-timers at Le Mans. Right. So they put me in the team with them so that I can elbow them at the right time and say, hey, don't forget, Yeah. you yeah. know, uh, to do this, don't forget to do that, or I'll handle this for you. Or, right. you know, this guy at Scrutineering is always a pain in the ass about gurneys. Let me go talk to him. You know, these kinds <laughs> of things. You know, to, it's kind of to help the so, young engineers not feel like they're just drinking from the fire hose. Right. And uh, that's been a, 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 a long-time thing I've really enjoyed doing. And one of the things that I always tell young, and of course, by the time you're at Yoast and you're first-timer, you're already pretty good. But um, one of the things I always tell young would-be engineers is you need to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to lead. Yeah. And your engineering skills at some point during the competition take a back seat yeah. 
to your leadership skills. Right, yeah, absolutely. And you have to be able to play both roles, and you have to be able to play them convincingly. In 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 my opinion, and it's changing now the way it, it's done, but you know, in my day, I would say it was sixty percent leadership, forty percent engineering, and then at some point, you know, when you have so many people under you and below you feeding you stuff and things to make decisions with it becomes the leadership becomes even more important mm -hmm. right the leadership aspect and i mean i'm very proud of uh kyle wilson clark um he was uh he was my data guy at lamar in 09 it was his first lamar right now he was the winning engineer last year yeah right. i'm very very proud of him that's cool because he was my data guy then he was my assistant yeah and then when he actually got the opportunity to uh to be uh a lead engineer i really supported him and pushed him hard to yeah. get up in there in that position and then ultimately then he uh got poached by porsche <laughs> and uh he's got a lifetime job there yeah. he's set yeah he's set That's he's awesome. good he's good to go um fantastic guy though and a natural born leader yeah right the That's you big know part of it. big part of it he's got a very commanding presence got a very commanding voice and the kind of person has the composure to really keep it together when it's not quite working right. and uh yeah and i'm very very proud of him and lena as well and justin what makes a leader in in this kind of environment he said it commanding voice commanding that's it just well no it's more than a commanding <laughs> voice it's you have to you you have to be, you have to be the first one to step up for the accountability of it yeah you have to be the first the you have to be the first person even if it's the tire guy that screwed it up or it's the signal guy put the wrong damn number out, or whatever. You're the first. No, you're the sharp end of the boat, and you gotta you gotta accept that. When you accept that and take it on the chin, even though the people in the team may know that they are the ones that have that have actually dropped the ball, they'll respect you. Yeah. For and it makes them want to work with you. Makes right. you make yeah. yeah. You don't turn around and say no. He did it. <laughs> right. Whatever. Right. 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 No. You you got to say no. It was a team thing. We screwed it up. Whatever. I accept the right. you know, responsibility for it. And it's hard. I mean, it really is hard. I mean, the press is hard on you, and you know, your your owners are hard on you, and you know every decision gets really heavily heavy duty analyzed. And when you're a race engineer, there's almost nothing you can do that's right. You can almost do everything <laughs> wrong. Sure. And, uh, those are the things that people are going to remember. You know, those are the ones they they very seldom say. Oh man, you know, Sebring '05 when you guys made that short fill, that was a brilliant. You never hear that again. Oh, right, you right. only say, "I remember when you screwed up that yeah. yellow and didn't." Co you know, and right. I'm like, "Uh huh, yeah, I remember that too." What one of the common themes that we learned last year from t you know, people like yourself in the industry, but also drivers, the the common advice was be likable. How mm -hmm. important is being likable as a young engineer coming into it that helps you long term? It's pretty important. I think, you know, as a young engineer coming in, one of the, you know, okay, people who want to be engineers do it because they're, you know, socially inadequate and they have, you know, they're <laughs> awkward and so forth. So they, 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 they want to be, yes. they, they have the knack, you know, but that's the only so thing that true. they really, that's what? the only thing that they really got. Yeah. So therefore their skill set their ability to do analytics, their ability to yeah. digest large amounts of data and, and come up with a conclusion and so forth is their pride. That's where they're proud of. That's where they got their GPA. That's where their mm -hmm. parents spent their money so they could learn it and so forth. So they want to come in and really present that. And very often they're uh, very often they're very bristly. They're very, you know, they want to show you how much they know in the first 10 minutes. Sure. Yeah, and right. 
very often it just doesn't work like that. Uh-huh. You yeah. know, you're more, you, you know, you, what you'll find is that when a young engineer comes in, if he's the kind of guy that helps you drag the tent bag out of the back and unzip yeah. it and put the tent yeah. up, this is the guy you want on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Nobody really gives a about how many Excel spreadsheets he can produce in a day. If he's the kind of guy that'll have a beer with the boys, that'll keep a good sense of yeah. humor, yeah. help you put the tent up, take the tent down, you know, whatever. Just to be part of the group be on the and team. be yeah. in the team and be likable and be part of the team. That's a really important aspect because as soon as you don't do that stuff, when you're like seen at a high enough point where that's not necessary or whatever, sure. it really creates a divide. Uh-huh. And then if you and then if you have a controversial direction you want to go or whatever, you automatically alienate part of the team. Sure, right, exactly. they're like, well, he doesn't want to do this and that, and he's got some cockamamie brake pressure shit he wants to do and right. whatever. And I'm not so sure about this new guy. And but and that's how it starts. Yeah. Well, and and so for that. 20 year old SAE student um, you know one of the most common mistakes you can see I would assume is that 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 need to go for the glory mm-hmm. and, and be, be the, the hero, hero. Yeah. and even though you're maybe not that that point in your career so mm-hmm. how well, quickly do those guys kind of talk themselves out of a job well they do it really quick I mean yeah. they try to climb too fast and I mean that just doesn't I, from my yeah, my experience is based on a long hard slog of yeah. you know trying to get there and sure. being very dedicated to it over a long period of time and you know I think a lot of the the young guys that come into this they want to get there like you said John they want to get there too quick and they don't realize that it's you know 15 times loading and unloading this truck right you know and all that and not screwing any of the basic stuff up yeah and then maybe you might have a chance yeah yeah at doing something that's you know you cool. get your picture in the paper or Get, you know, as seen on TV from behind the podium, you know, you'll <laughs> yeah, get, you'll get, right. you know, your mom will see you or something, and right. that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. But if you just go in looking for that, this is the wrong kind of job. Yeah. You know, because I can't imagine a really a harder way to make a living in some ways you know, over a long period yeah. of time than this is. Yeah. It's re- you know, my travel schedule's been 220 plus days for knocking on 30 years. Yeah. Well, 30 years now. In the beginning, I drove the truck. I built the gearboxes. I did. I mean, the, the same story all the old timers tell, but it's true, <laughs> right? Because that's what we did. Yeah. We didn't have this cast of thousands of people, and didn't have you know, we all had to do <laughs> right. all these yeah. different. Right. Had to do all these different things. You had to load it on the dinosaur. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Yeah. You had to you. feed the dinosaur. Yeah. Exactly. You'd clean his hoofs. <laughs> you know, um, and get him going. But I mean, I I drove the truck in programs. I still have CDL. I still do it. Yeah. You know, and I still like to keep my skills you know sharp so i can do it and i've never let a truck driver hold me hostage if somebody does i don't like what they're doing yeah, get I out yeah, i'll do yeah. it and i've done it before you know alan mcnish alan mcnish had a quote about you that he said uh when he first started working with you he, he the quote was he stopped the car he engineered it he worked on it he even drove the truck the only didn't thing he didn't do was the catering mm-hmm. and then i noticed that kelly prepared lunch today too so do you just not cook Oh no, I cook a lot. Okay, I cook a lot. <laughs> she actually, she actually bailed me out today because I was a little bit behind last night. We were really late. So before we showed up here, Ryan and I just took a tour of I'm going to call it Campus Kettler. You've got like 17 <laughs> buildings all across. You know, I have oh. eight. Okay. There's actually eight. Of, there's actually eight of them. That's still it feels, a big number. Yeah, it yeah. feels like more because of all the doors and all the silence of the lamb hallways. And stuff <laughs> right, and Sean. Right. How many buildings do you have? Uh, I have uh, Same a, me, a I room think. that I split in a house in Pasadena. So, <laughs> I have a um, laptop. Uh, but uh, but yeah, okay. So you've got eight buildings kind of spread across College Corner. No big uh, deal. And, and uh, but but here there was a there was a because you and I don't know each other that well. But mm-hmm. but there's a 
there's a relatability between the two of us, even though we're sort of, sort of slightly different world, and Ryan picked up on it right away, mm-hmm. um, is that you know your business, uh, we know you for being sort of the Audi racing guy here in the U.S., but there's a million cars that you're restoring. You even got old prototypes that you're restoring for different mm-hmm. customers from the mm-hmm. from the LMP days. Um, and every story, as you walked us through, every story was like, yeah, this is the Cadillac we're working on. This is the you know the the old R8 you know rear diff that, that we're working on. I'm working uh, on. Th- yeah, but it always <laughs> ended with, yeah, I'm kind of the only guy that knows how to do this. So mm-hmm. I got I tried to spend a couple hours here, and I was like, holy. Shit. <laughs> this, is, this is the racing version of me because, like, you do have a staff, but it seems like you're still kind of. I gotta have my hands. You have on to kind of do all of it, and is it because is it really just you're the only guy that knows how to do half of this? Pre- stuff? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky. I have uh, one of my old number one mechanics, uh, Bobby Green. You guys may know. I know um, Bobby. Yeah. Bobby comes up and he guest wrenches up here several weeks a year, and he really helps me with some of the old old stuff because he knows right. it quite good, um, and that's really helpful. Because right. that allows me to keep my business rolling. Because right. I can have him up here for a week and give him a component to build or to put together. Right. And I don't have to check it. Yeah. Right. I he mean, knows he right. knows what he's doing. Right. So it's either him doing that stuff or me. Right. And so, you know, therefore I stay really involved in it in, uh, from that point of view. And like you saw that, that one Porsche on the lift there, I still just want to do that. I still <laughs> sure. want. I get it. I get a kick out of putting those things together. I love air-cooled. Right. Um you know, I spent most of my life working right. on them up until the Audi days. Um, and I really still want to keep my skills sharp because right. I figure when I'm done here, I'm really traveling and doing stuff that I'll still do some of that. Right. Sure. Here's the thing I, I can't wrap my head around. So Kettler Motor Works, it's, it's, everybody knows it for Audi's North American racing program. You still are involved with Europe quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You also do, you also work on all, any sort of, Audi vintage program that's going on. Somebody wants, somebody's doing some vintage racing with an old LMP1 car. You've got your hands in that. And then you've got all these other classic cars, everything from, you know, old 1930s Fords to old mm-hmm. Porsches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But yet you're traveling 230 mm-hmm. days a year with the, mm-hmm. with the IMSA schedule, all the testing, all that sort of stuff. So just relating on my own kind of world. And, I guess, and World Challenge. And World Challenge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking about my world with videos and websites and press stuff. Um, Let's make this about you. Yeah. Uh, you wake <laughs> up, absolutely. Um, I'm guessing you wake up with a list of, here's the, I got to put two hours into this car. I got to rebuild this gearbox. I, you know, here's my 12 things I've got to do. Mm-hmm. But you're also, you're also like the front office guy too here. So what happens when you've got those 12 things and then, some big customer calls angry, and now you have to babysit for four hours on mm-hmm. the phone for whatever. Dilemma. I just work late. Sure, I just work late. <laughs> yeah, I just, mean, just hours. I, just, I, just, it's just hours. Just I mean, working hard. <laughs> you, you, you know, you try to adapt to those things the very best you can. Um, but I mean, I kind of just I kind of live in what I do. Right. I mean, I'm detached out here. This the two and a half miles from the workshop here where we're sitting. It's like a million miles away. Yeah. I try to keep it that way in a frame of reference where I can turn it off a little bit, but it's still very, very difficult to do. But when things like that happen, we just work more. And like I said in the car, we were talking a little bit. I'm, you know, we're really fortunate that we have a really stout group of subcontract people. And when I really got to push hard, when I really got to, you know, to to crack the whip and get something done can draw from a lot of resources yeah. right. and given a week or 10 days to spool up for a project even if it's a big one if it's a big test something completely unannounced or whatever you know we're really fortunate as a company that we can pull from those is there a spider on me 
There was a second ago. There might be. Uh, I don't <laughs> no, see like, it. I don't there. know where he went. Oh, you got a lady, ladybug on you. Ladybug on. Yeah, yeah. Might be a nice time to talk, talk about where we are. Yeah, we're at Kettler Farms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're at the Seldom Rest Farm. Seldom Rest Farm. <laughs> Seldom Rest <laughs> Farm. That was my dad's name for his place. Yeah. And uh, he's gone now, and that place has been sold. So I call it the same thing. Yeah. 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 We'll post a picture on the website, but like. When you imagine what a postcard from Indiana looks like, this is pretty yeah. much it. We're sitting in your your back patio here. We can probably see about three miles radius to to, the, to a tree line of, yeah. of farmland, and yeah. it's super quiet. Which I mean, like, this is the first time I think we've sat outside and recorded one of these where there was no like ambient. Yeah, and police. You know, we actually, <laughs> when we interviewed Patrick Long, we were on top of the dais. Uh, coffee shop, motorcycle shop in, in Santa Venice, Monica, yeah. Venice. And literally there's like sirens going by. We can see homeless yeah, people homeless fighting. People oh, up, thank you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty well, different from this. I, I actually <laughs> went to see Jackson, my farmer, that uh, takes care of this. Yeah. And I said, I went to see him yesterday, and I said, when are you planning on pulling those beans out? And Because uh, I just knew he was going to tell me. Oh, Saturday morning, about 10 o'clock, we'll yeah. be out there with the combine. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that's how it works. That's, that's, that's the last thing we need right now is like a 14-row <laughs> turbo diesel harvester out right. there with, with a big cloud of dust flying You're off like, of it. I got two guys coming to help. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> Shall so I get in there? <laughs> he said no, not till Monday. And nice. I said, okay, all good. Right, we're all right. Good, good. So you just came off of you had a you were in a road accident, like a road car accident? Yeah, I was uh, in May, was it? April. It was in April. I was headed to Barber Motorsport Park, normal pedestrian day traveling. Right. You know. Rental no, car? Rental car. Oh. Nothing special. Yeah. Um, I went to Avis, got my car, and like I normally don't do, I told a couple of people this, I actually hooked up my Bluetooth, I set my nav, and I did everything before I left the parking space. Uh-huh. Wow. I usually prefer to do that while I'm in the spiral going down the, right. yep. going on to the interstate. Yep. You know, because you come out of the place and you got like eight choices. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> I don't know which one it is. And wow. You end up <laughs> going are wrong, right? more similar than I ever yeah. knew, you and I. So, so, so I, I said, well, Brad's I'm not, successful. I'm not, oh, yeah, he uh, made money. I, I'm not, I'm not, well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I, so I like, I'm not going to do this this time. I know where I'm going, but I'm going to. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to hook it all up. So I hooked it all up, and I was like, okay, we're good to go. And then half an hour later, I was in a really hard shutdown where the traffic stopped, Uh and then there was a big, shiny, black QX65 that knocked me into next week and hit me at about 50 miles an hour from behind. Oh, wow. Jesus. And shoved me into... Did you see it coming? I did. Yeah, that's the worst. Shoved shoved me into the car in front, (laughs) which was a a pickup truck full of bags of cement. (laughs) So it was like the worst possible snare. It had a big construction bumper on it. I kind of went under it. Airbags went off. Car did its thing. Right. Folded up. Energy dispersed. Bags went off. Sound I never want to hear again. Uh, I'm familiar with ballistics. I'm familiar with shotguns. Yeah. It sounded like a shotgun in a closet. Yeah, right. That's what it sounded like. I broke my chest bone. Excruciating pain in my chest. Couldn't couldn't breathe. Couldn't catch my breath. And, um, of course, then it rained. So I stood and standing out. Oh, you had to stand there. Stand there in the rain waiting for the emergency response vehicles, which were dealing with heroin overdoses. So they were almost an hour getting to me. Oh, wow. To take me to the hospital in Cobb County in Georgia there. And uh, everybody kept saying, oh, you just got your wind knocked out of you. You just got your I'm like, this really. I played hockey in college and, you know, stuff. 
I'm not used okay. to getting the yeah, wind yeah, knocked yeah, out yeah, of me. Yeah, this is this is not the wind knocked right. out of me. And then they finally X-rayed me and they said, "Wow, you have a broken chest bone." Oh, weird. Yeah. Kind of, I said, "Yeah, then maybe that's why I can't f-ing breathe." You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, help me out here. And uh, so it it was a it was a bad scenario. Um, nobody got hurt besides right. me. Um, car did its job. Um, and yeah, everybody was okay after that. But it was a long drawn out summer i was really hurt i yeah, couldn't do right. anything i'm a very action guy i climb ladders i drive tractors i do all kinds of stuff every day and i'm like i couldn't do any of it well that's yeah. from your business standpoint since you are so hands-on <laughs> like how did that slow things down it did it yeah. stopped it i yeah. couldn't do anything you, yeah. can, you can ask her i just i couldn't do anything i couldn't this was a challenge so drinking drinking was a challenge so <laughs> i mean, must have really hurt it did i mean there wasn't really anything i could do i mean everything caused pain whether it was right. watching TV or laughing or, right. you know, burping or having a <laughs> sneeze or. Right. So I couldn't go to Lamar. I had to wave off. I waved off on that at the very end. It killed me to do it. But it was absolutely the right call. Right. You know, I had I just had to do it. Yeah. I mean, I just knew in my heart I wasn't strong enough. And the last thing I wanted to do is go over there and end up in the infirmary. Yeah. Um, and uh, the good thing is, obviously, this wasn't the best year for Audi. So now you can be like, see. Yeah. I wasn't well, they there. All, yeah, you know. They all chimed. Could have fixed there. They all chimed in on it, and I know we tabled the Lena thing. But Lena and I, we we did the secret squirrel handshake, and she's like, "This is my last one. Right. And I want you on the team, and we're, you know, we'll go win it again. You know, because we won twice together, yeah. uh, two in a row actually. And then we won the Silverstone race this year and got DQ'd because of the plank wear. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. So her and I were on that car together again. So it was all working. Yeah. Right. And it was all clicking. It right, was all right. working, and we were. We were like looking at it like, okay, this is our last opportunity to do this. Right. And uh, I was really looking forward to it. And uh, it was a near miss. Didn't go. Uh, it's kind of funny. Two things just happened right there. One is you didn't have, you didn't like say, you know, and it was really bad and I just didn't feel like I could, you know, you basically just said what happened. And then at the exact same time, you told the story about the Audi being DQ'd. And you didn't give us any bullshit on it. Yeah. Going, yeah. And here's the deal. Like, yeah, it was a totally, you're just yeah. like, yeah, we got DQ'd. Like, you just call it as it is. No. No sympathy. No, like, no, like, guys, can you can you send prayers for me today? Right, just, right, like, right, Whatever. And uh, I, I didn't know the actual details, so we looked up the racer. There was a racer uh, article on it, and this kind of made us laugh that your the racer article was like, Kettler to miss Lamar due to injury or whatever. And it's just a very basic, like, was in a car accident, so I'm going to be, you know, at home, can't go to Lamar. And there was no racer comments on the thread Zero. which yeah. as you probably don't know because you actually you know work, work. and don't yeah. give a shit about this but most racer article yeah. comment section tends to be just awful stupid comments and you didn't have any comments on your thread we're like man Kettler's got it made yeah. right like because yeah. the fans will pick apart anything, anything on a forum to except, shed their expertise except, except Brad, Brad Kettler injuries so typical Kettler well right. probably because it, so it was so matter of fact like he <laughs> yeah. got hurt he's fine Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got. I was just showing off. Yeah. You know? the, the joke. The joke that we were kind of thinking was like, "There's a fan somewhere. I don't know if "fan's" the right word, but there's yeah. like an angry, you know, internet troll that's like, "I don't know how to rip on this." <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. don't know how to complain. It's just exactly like it was. Yeah. He was no. in an accident. He's getting better. Now I will say Durr! that we went. We read through some of the. Uh, there's obviously a lot going on in sports cars right now, and we uh-huh. read through some of the uh, some of the forums yesterday. And the forums have calmed down quite a bit we're, from this time We're last claiming year. that we did it. We did that. We fixed inter- because we called it out on this podcast. Yeah. That we didn't. So people think are afraid of getting ripped on by us. So no. our question to you is, how can we fix something for you through this podcast? Like, what yeah. do you need taken care of? Oh 
Oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to give that a minute. <laughs> we have sure that I, kind of power yeah, now. We, Pull up we, the right season, secret. Season two. Season yeah, our yeah. season two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're totally not ahead of ourselves at all. Or if you this. have some competition you need to get rid of, and we yeah. can bag on them here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah we could do that. <laughs> this guy's starting an Audi shop. He's yeah. terrible. All right. Uh, let me tell you about how awful Riley Technologies is. <laughs> Actually, actually, I like Bill. I mean, he's well, he's, he's right here he's with us. The worst. He's yeah, laying he's, down. He's, he's laying oh, down he's, right oh, now. He's, he's down he's, he fell. Yeah. <laughs> he totally fell. He's fun to compete with, even though you want to kill him sometimes. Oh, really? Sure. You know, I love. I like how how spun up Alvin gets over him. Oh, oh yeah. we didn't. Okay. We didn't know there was a rivalry. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Al, Alvin. Alvin gets. Alvin gets. This wound. is Alvin Springer Alvin of Porsche. Yeah. Alvin yeah. gets wound up because when when Bill is seen as complaining. Too much, you know. It gets, it bothers him. It bothers <laughs> Alvin. It's like, why is he complain so much? And so, if we got to blow this up, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna make a thing. We gotta make this Springer a versus Springer. Riley. Yeah. Riley. Yeah. Well, yes, to the death. Versus Riley. <laughs> if only we knew that before, we could have tried to get him on the video. Yeah. And, and no. Well, they go, like each other. Going, no. But yeah. I'm well, not saying Springer's it. never doing anything we ask. But they, they, they like each other, <laughs> but they, uh, Alvin, it's one of those little points. He doesn't like take off on a lot of them. Um, but one of those little points that just boom, Bill can kind of hit the spot and right. get him to go, because this is stemmed from the from the BOP calls this year, okay. which is the you know the forum where we all get a chance to say something and and so forth. And obviously the outlier many times this year, I won't say always, but many times this year has been the Viper. Sure. And obvious for obvious reasons. A lot, yeah. And uh, you know you got on one hand you got to respect what they're trying to do with it. It's an aging car, and it's last year, right. and they're trying to play every possible hand they can with it to protect the performance of it, to have something to, to go with at the end of the year, which they did. Yeah. The car was legitimate, yeah. or winner, I don't know how you call it, of Petit <laughs> Le Mans. I don't the, really know what you'd call that. Cross the line second. It but crossed the line the second, but yeah. it was declared the winner. Right. Yeah. So, and then that held, unlike our Daytona 2014, where we crossed the line second, and then we were the winner for five hours. Right. And yeah. then we weren't. <laughs> so, you know. Same organization? Same organization, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> you know, and oddly enough, some of the same mistakes were made that were made at that point. I right. mean, I find it amazing. But, um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> we're table. We're, okay. we got something else to go yeah, back to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some, there's some. There's some stuff there. Well, I mean, that's been a tough, as a, a tough thing. As a guy that was a mechanic for a long time and like an all-around, you know, engineer, the whole mm -hmm. thing. But now you're on the manufacturer representative side, mm -hmm. so you wield a bit of power. Mm -hmm. So is it is it comforting that you can make people uncomfortable? That you, their job used to be to make you uncomfortable. Oh yeah. You know, like you can be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. ah, I really don't think I should bring that car here this year because I would, I like, yeah. I would be way worse than you are. <laughs> well, I try to do it fairly quietly. Right. And I mean, on and be, you know, not to put the company hat on here, but when we make our recommendations, um, when we rec make our so balance. Like homologation and BOP. BOP right. yeah. recommendations. When, so after every event, there's generally a call, and it's usually Tuesday or Wednesday yeah, so the week following. So just so everyone understands what this means, after every race, all of the GT3 manufacturers involved in IMSA get on a literally a post-race phone call every week well like 11 times 12 that's times a year that's to talk about here's who was uneven here here's who was uneven here we mm -hmm. need this we need that right mm -hmm. correct okay, so go on and so so what what we do is we create a completely data-driven um we do a two-part deal here and i believe we do a, a really really good job yeah. at it and i'll say compared to the other manufacturers 
I'd say we do a better job. I'll just straight out call them out on that. Fair enough. We do a better job at it, and some of the some of the manufacturers data-driven analytics don't provide anything. Yeah, right. They get on the call and they give some opinion, and that's it. So, you know, Porsche creates a, a report, and I know Alvin does a report. He's the deliverer of the report. Sure. So you get him delivering the data report, yeah. which is a pretty potent combination right? because he's a very potent politician. Right. He's very hard to argue with. He fights his corner really well. And I owe a lot to Alvin. Alvin's done a tremendous amount for me. I wouldn't have ever gotten to do a lot of the things that I did without him right. backing me and being tough love on me. Sure, sure. You know, kicking my ass when I need yeah. it. Um, you know, being disappointed at the point where I, I disappointed him. You know, and I believe he put a little bit more time into me than he did a lot of other people, and I really respect that. So they do a good job delivering a report, and we do a good job delivering a report. Now, Cody Ragone, my, my staff engineer, his job is to, to take the race out of context of the race mm-hmm. and just do the numbers, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And then what he delivers is his analytical view of what happened just purely numbers-wise. Right. And then I deliver the racecraft part. Yeah. Right. Um, this is the raceability of these cars. This is how we see that, you know, although the theoretical on the 488 is here, the raceability aspect is here. So you get kind of the words and music together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Cody writes the music and I put the words in or however right. you want to analyze that. And then, so I'm the one delivering it. And then we deliver the report. So it's basically, I give you the report and the report may say, you know, the Audi's too quick or whatever. But then I give you the report and I say, well, these are not the drones you're looking for. <laughs> right. 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 I think that's so our the, first Star Wars of the year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, these, these are not the drones. You know, what you're really <laughs> reading there is not really It's droids, that. but we'll, we'll edit that. Droid, yeah, droids. <laughs> right. 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 These, what did I say? Clones? Drones. 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 Yeah. Yeah. These are, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Droids. <laughs> get it right, Keller. <laughs> yeah. Jesus get it right. These are not <laughs> the drones. a lot of This is going to be your comment. Yeah. That's right. going to be your racer comment. Uh, right. Couldn't get f***ing Star Wars right. Yeah. Couldn't get it right. <laughs> Couldn't get it right. Anyway, so that's... You know, I have that one opportunity to speak to those words yeah. on that paper. Yeah, and right. if that impression doesn't last, then there's no what use to do? it. Right. Yeah. For example, not to pick on Bill, but this is a good... Well, he's here. So he's here. here he so himself. Since yeah. he's here, it's fair play. Um, for example, and I'll go back to a year ago, uh, racing at Laguna, only because it's a good example. The Viper ran off on the lap two and took a rough ride over the the curbs and destroyed the underfloor okay. the underfloor is loose yeah it's pattering and all over the place the car's super slow handles bad mm-hmm. i mean all the stuff that associated with your underfloor being screwed up right so visibly the car's not damaged runs the whole race doesn't have any technicals makes its pit stops right. does its normal cadence for its pit stops and so right. forth but looks interminably slow mm-hmm. right like look this thing needs some help if you take that purely on the numbers, you say it needs help. Right. If you say, hey, the underfloor is loose from this car from lap two, throw its data out, then you have a different story. Right. Sure. But right. if you don't say that, the numbers hold. Right. So you have to be careful to make sure you add those things in. And, you know, I look at the cars as they're racing. I go up and down the pit lane. I see what the crews are preparing to do. You know, if you see somebody making a wing change during the race. Yeah. Do you see things that are like, 
unusual and out of the box, and you know that they're either hiding something or they're desperate or they're yeah. swinging for Chasing the fence yeah, or right. whatever. You see what's going on. I mean, two years ago, the Ferrari in the rain uh, prepping tires. Uh, oh, petite. The, the petite. Yeah. I caught that. I was the guy that caught that. Yeah. Because I go behind the scenes and look right. at what the hell's yeah, going on. I don't think yeah. that story's too known, but yeah, well, let's yeah, tell yeah. it real quick. Well, they were prepping tires. They were knocking the release agent off of the yeah. tires so that they could bring them in a this little quicker. Petite last year, petite, not this year, but last 20, year. 20, yeah. yeah, I guess it would have been the rainy twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah, the rainy one. Right. So you know, I you know, I caught that in one in. How are they doing that? Uh, they were using a die grinder. Really? So they're just buzzing tires. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, they had uh, they had a guy back there, you know, cleaning them up, and obviously that has a, a, a desired effect. Sure, you know, on a cold, wet track, it takes a while to get the mold agent off, as you well know. Yeah, yeah. and they're lethal. Yeah, until you get to that point. Yeah, even stickers in the dryer, a little sketchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I always do in keeping with that is I always go look at the takeoff rack, right? Yeah. So if you go down to Continental and you actually, because everybody leaves their information right in front of you to look at. Right. So you go down there and you look at the tires off the Viper, the tires off the Ferrari, tires off the Porsche. Right. And if you if you, you use can look at their wear pattern, you look at their wear yeah. pattern and their aspect and their texture and what 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 they're doing and you can kind of see which cars are really hitting it right, yeah. which cars are struggling, they're all full of pickup, they're scrubbed off, they're running too much camber. You can see all this yeah. if you're used to doing it. And um, and then you can really kind of pick out almost in your mind, even for the race starts, which cars are really going to be players. Part of that to me is uh, you have a reputation as being a very straight from the hip, mm -hmm. no bullshit kind mm -hmm. of guy. But you're now in a very white shirt mm -hmm. dealing with the series kind of role. And mm -hmm. you're not a politician by, mm -hmm. by my definition. I am not. Um, how does that go over? It goes over pretty good. I mean, I learned some pretty decent debating skills and stuff from my dad. My dad was a, a PhD here at Miami, an English professor, and um, you know, prep debate people. And you know, he was very, very witty sparring uh, partner. So I learned a few things from him. But I'm not really a politician by by nature, and I'm not really super comfortable yeah. in that role. I can do it but I'm not really super comfortable yeah. at it, and I prefer to just use the facts yeah. as yeah. often as possible because yeah. it's much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Lies are too hard to remember which ones you told to what people and whatever, and <laughs> you know, so you just got to just use the facts, and it usually turns out much better. It's a far easier story. One of my favorite memories of you uh, was 2015 at Detroit. Um, oh, I, was yeah. doing, I was doing a video for Paul Miller. Um, raining through qualifying and or no raining in practice right before qualifying. Right, right, One right. of the drivers, Dion. <laughs> I, I was trying to not name him. I was just being a smartass. He was being, being like, legit. No, Dion, yeah. But I mean, it was really really wet. Dion went off. Took off. Dion went off. It was took a bad Dion scenario. Von the car. It was yeah, Dion von Mulkey. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Dion von Mulkey. Just kidding, Dion. At Dion VM. We love you, Dion. <laughs> oh wow, we're gonna call yeah, him. Yeah. Well, if you guys are, we love you, Dion. You're forgiven. Yeah, it's fine. But. My point is like so I so <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing like uh, race recap videos for for Paul Miller. I'm like, all right, well I got to go shoot this, get a time lapse and all that. And the guys start to prep up for the clip, you know, unclipping of the car and all that. And there's Brad Kettler rolling up his sleeves, ready. And I remember watching it going. Not only was I impressed because I've never seen like the OEM rep roll up his sleeves and go to work on the car, but I could kind of see you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like you were, like you were happy you could finally go back to working on yeah, the car. I got this. They had yeah. they had like you know an hour and a half before they had to go out and qualify, so they had to get. You this can't tell going. me no. I, yeah, you need, you're my like, help. Ah, you need well, me. They, they, they did. Yeah. The, the, the car had two uh, bolts broken off in the rear suspension subframe. They yeah. were sheared off. 
they were sheared off sweet smooth with it and it was going to take somebody with a little bit of finesse to get it out of there yeah and i said you guys work on everything else i'll get these two bolts out right and i did right and i got them out no problem i got them out but it was one of those things where you had to be a little bit crafty yeah but it's, it seemed like you were waiting for this moment. Like, <laughs> I want to touch these cars, and I'm not allowed to. He's like, I, I got all my tools right here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you don't bring tools. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, I, you know, I, and even today, if you guys will ever see me in the pit lane, even in white shirt and everything, I don't go to the pit lane without my gloves. I don't. <laughs> Interesting. I don't go to the pit lane without my gloves yeah. because they're always in my pocket because you can't, if somebody hands you something broken or there's a hot wheel to look yeah. at, yeah. Scra- you can't do anything. If you can't touch it, yeah. a broken piece of carbon that gets flung, flung over the wall in a repair, you can't drag it out of the way if you don't have your gloves on. Yeah. Our our listeners are kind of assholes, mm-hmm. so um, they're gonna they're gonna come up to you on pit lane if they see you and yeah. be like, "Where are the gloves?" Well, I'll, have them. Yeah. I'll have yeah, them. Let's see them. I'll have them. I always wear the I wear Uvac Uvex Profos. Oh, he's like gloves. calling it out. Oh, well. oh yeah, <laughs> I wear the same. Know. I've worn the same ones for more than a decade, and they're this they're the Kevlar reinforced kind of stretchy white cloth. Uh-huh. They got a really good feel. And uh, they're real good because carbon doesn't get through them, but you okay. can still start a bolt with them. Right. So they got a pretty good feel. They're actually the gloves that they use on the Audi assembly line to handle the painted body panels, ah, like right. the doors and right, stuff. Right, right. So they got a really good feel, a little bit of rubber in the texture, and they're tight. Right. And so you can really feel quite well, and then you don't scar anything. So yeah. it's clearly a great product. Do they have any history of sponsoring podcasts? I don't know if they do. Huh. I know they're hard to get. I have to actually get them through Audi. You know what would okay. help us drive this Honda Odyssey <laughs> <laughs> with continental <laughs> tires on? <laughs> would be Uvex gloves. <laughs> Uvex gloves. That's a nice Honda Odyssey. It is a nice Honda Those Odyssey. Those tires look really good. They do. From here. They look great. Those continental tires on there. Great. Yeah, you get it. They've served you well. <laughs> He's good. He's so, so that's your your Brad Kettler memory. I've yeah. got like ten Brad Kettler memories <laughs> because we know each other from a previous life. <laughs> When I was five mm-hmm. or something, and this picture's going on on the website mm-hmm. on dinnerwithracers.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing was, is on the drive here yesterday, I texted my mom like, "Can you send me that Christmas card photo from when you worked for my parents like years ago?" In the '80s. And, and then when we got to the shop, you're like, "Oh, come look at this photo," and you showed me the same photo, but the original or whatever. It's kind of right. cool. It was our Christmas card from Global Motorsport. That's right, Stevens Court in Global Tucker, Motorsport, Tucker, Georgia. That's right, Tucker, Georgia, right Global across Motorsport. from FAF. Yeah, Ferrari. FAF Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a heady time there. That was a cool, cool era. That whole street. Yeah. When you went down that street, once you went past the concrete plant, which people were like, Tucko. It's, it's behind it the, hon- the concrete plant. Yeah. And you're like, yep, keep going. Yeah, and the, uh, the concrete was Tucko because it was Tucker Tucko. Concrete. Yeah. You know, Tucker George is where the shop was. Yep. Yeah. And then at the end of this dead end street was FAF Ferrari, which was one of the preeminent Ferrari places in the area. Yeah. And then John and Jessica's shop, Ryan's parents, and um, and then up the street, I forget the name of the man that did all the Lambos and Porsches. Yeah, up yeah, there. the Pantera there for one. Yeah, time with the yellow one. I remember that too. Yeah. I remember him, but I don't remember his name. Yeah, um, but it was a cool place because on that little dead end street, you any like every other car you passed was like a Something super cool. exotic of some kind. When we were. Uh... Uh, talking about like this episode, I was like, yeah, it'd be neat to have Brad on because he worked with my dad a long time. And um, we had that, obviously, the photo you'll see on the website. But also, um, 
I got to see you go on to do other stuff and, and my dad always speak highly of you. Mm-hmm. And then I met you when I was a mechanic, I think back in like mm-hmm. oh two or three and you're mm-hmm. like and the thing you said to me that was so cool was like your parents were always very nice to me. They were and I and I think I said they weren't always very nice to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, there was some tough there was some tough I'm guessing <laughs> you earned it though. Yeah, there, no, I definitely yeah, deserved yeah. half of it. They were nice to they were nice to me. Yeah, there was there was some tough days tough days in there where you really were happy that you had something on your bench right. that you could just focus on working on and look really busy like good little <laughs> elf and everybody just leave you alone yeah right yeah as as my career as a driver started going on my parents my mom especially she's a big fan of yours would always say just go say hi to brad kettler it's probably good that he knows you're trying to find rides and you never know and that and that's true for any young driver like if you sure. know somebody like just be be always around you know right. yeah and be so noticed. i'd always go over and say hi brad ryan eversley and you're like hey ryan good to see all your parents and then i ran into you once and you're like i, I know who you are now you don't have to <laughs> right. say your name, but I'm like, well, I don't want you to be awkward, but the coolest thing you've done, and then we're going to start making fun of you because I can't just build you up the whole time, was my first pro win at St. Petersburg in the Acura two years ago, which mm-hmm. was an unexpected thing. Mm-hmm. They made you drive after the, after the race was over. You didn't stop in your pit box or go to victory lane. You have to go back to the support paddock. Mm-hmm. So they make you drive all the way down pit lane, and my team was at the beginning of pit lane, and you were there with Audi. Mm-hmm. And as I passed my team and they're all freaking out, I see one guy walking out in a white shirt mm-hmm. clapping. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Brad Keller, mm-hmm. like, look at that. And he gave me well, the thumbs up. And well I was like, celebrated that is so victory. cool. Oh, yeah. That you remembered it. And uh, just because I knew, we, you know, don't, from, from being a kid. Don't I, think for a moment, Ryan, I'm not proud. I appreciate that. You I really know, do. I mean, I am. I mean, to see people, you know, multi-generational stuff in right. racing is pretty common. But to see that and then you know, my background with your family right. and all that other stuff. And to see you get to that point where you're getting there, you're going to go get the big cup. I mean that's on it. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, that and it doesn't matter what brand took you there. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just that you, you you know, anybody who's ever won a race can appreciate how damn hard you gotta fight right. to get there. Right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. You gotta yeah. there's somewhere along the line you had to dedicate yourself to something really deep to get in that position. So we kinda jumped right into it, but uh Brad Kettler the sort of career history to kinda go through that real quick for, mm-hmm. for those who don't know. You didn't grow up in a racing family, from what I know. No, no. My dad was very mechanically inclined. In fact, he met my mother when he was a mechanic at a Ford dealership, mm. and uh, he had a big interest in it as a young man. But then, you know, went off to school and uh, got uninvited back to Purdue due to his grades after he discovered beer and whatever, <laughs> and just uh, like me. and yeah. uh, <laughs> had to do a stint at back at home with mom. Oh, and uh, <laughs> have a job and so forth, and then decided that he was going to go back and and get his PhD, and he did. Um, so he met my mother when he was a mechanic and so forth, and they got married, and they had me really young. They were like 21 years old. Oh wow! And I uh, lived in a trailer court uh, in Lafayette, Indiana, till I was about nine years old, mm-hmm. and then we moved over here when my dad got a, a, a assistant professor job at Miami of Ohio. Yeah. In uh, 1968, I think, 69, something like that. And uh, we moved over here then. We were always, uh, as I grew up, we were always reading motorcycle magazines and, you know, sharing stories about that kind of stuff. And, you know, in high school, you know, I had some muscle cars and was interested in a couple things. I still have my first car. It's a 68 Chevelle so that led me to being, you know, gearhead. Right, that's and, all it took. Was and so forth. And yeah. yeah, and so forth. And I, I built a, a drag car when I was a teenager, and it was a pretty good drag car. It was based on a Nova. 
and you know butt dynoed the motors and you know built the whole thing <laughs> you know Fine. without any real resources and uh, got real good at like the factory interchange stuff like studied all the you know the Kingswood station wagon came with a 400 four bolt main yeah okay. I've been I've been in and out of college a couple times I wasn't a great student right. I'll admit it I went on and, and got some accolades but it was a battle for me to do it right um, I was far more interested in building cars and sure and doing the real stuff than I was studying all the analytics of it. I appreciated that, and I knew it was important, but, you know, the focus of a young man that age is really yeah. hard, yeah. and we all know it. And uh, so with my dad's support and so forth, I was able to, to get through Miami and, and sneak out of there with something. <laughs> and uh, But I got a decent education there. I learned a lot. And to be clear, this is not Miami, Florida. No, Miami of Ohio. Right. Miami of Ohio. And uh, so... I built this Sea Sports racer. It was actually a Ralt, uh, flat bottom Ralt Atlantic car. What kind of budget would you say you had? Oh my God! Like eight, nine million? Yeah, eight, nine million, ten no, million. No, no. I'm thinking. <laughs> hear that, Jeff? I'm thinking we <laughs> built this car. I think, including buying the car, uh, we probably had seventy five hundred dollars in it. Yeah. And that the biggest purchase was a tracer body from California. It was a, I don't know if you guys remember yeah. that. It was a one-piece yep. body with an integrated wing on the back. Pretty cool-looking thing. Yeah. looked really cool. And I didn't know what I was doing, so I was learning this as I was going along. I had some Carol Shelby books, yeah. some ideas, and my, my uncles had done some roundy-round racing with some sprint cars. So I had some pretty good idea about sure. how to put things together, but I really wasn't road racing savvy at that point you know i was pretty good at tuning motors and fixing things but in terms of like setup and understanding all the nuances of it i didn't right but in those days it was more over if you could get the car to actually not handle terribly and <laughs> run the whole race which might be 35 minutes right that was an accomplishment so you would end up really gaining some success just by virtue of the stuff the fact that your stuff didn't fall apart so at what point we're like okay i'm gonna this is what i want to do well i had through a, um, a mutual friend here in town, a guy named Jerry Cohen, he was he had an old childhood friend, a guy named John Mullen, and John Mullen ran the the formula car and the rental program stuff for a fellow named Michael Gouay <laughs> in uh, in in Atlanta, which was Essex Racing. I think we service. know him, Essex yep. Racing, right? So I went down and interviewed with Michael in 19 end of '86, beginning of '87, and was looking to do something different. I was doing you know street cars and Porsches and all kinds of stuff but was really kind of lost yeah you know didn't really have a you know I was I was a pain in the ass I was hard to you know it was hard to I was hard to handle I, you know <laughs> sure. I didn't well know, but until uh, so reflecting on what we talked about earlier with going for glory and whatnot like what what made you a pain in the ass just that I was a bit of a prima donna about what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, you know, I mean, really, honestly. So you were the age that you understand I, now. I, I, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally understand total it. total understanding of what you were at the yeah, time. Yeah, instead absolutely. Of like a, you know, I really had some ideas. Yeah. yeah no, I, I didn't. Much more common. I had some ideas, but they were all the ideas about how propelling Brad forward was right. going to happen. Yeah, right, they right. weren't about changing the, my, my high school and my young man ambition was to, I, I got blown up when I got into engineering school. I discovered it was a lot harder than I expected right. it was going to be. Sure. For what I had mastered from high school, I felt like I had enough of a tailwind uh -huh. that I could get in there and actually show something. Mm -mm. <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't have the mathematical. 
ability, and that that's to be really honest, that's where I had that's where I struggled. I later on accomplished most of it through just sheer determination, but it wasn't natural or innate for me. Yeah, so you had, you had to work. I had to work at yeah. it really, really hard, and harder than most people. You know, you, you know, the old sweat hog term. You know, I when it comes to that. That's where I was at. Yeah. Part of the reason I got hired there was that we actually ended up going to the runoffs with the car that I built. Okay. And we did quite well uh, in the qualifying uh, for the, the runoffs race. The car got damaged pretty badly and the chassis got bent. And I actually used a pole and a come along in the Essex race shop to actually stretch the chassis uh, okay. back. So Michael got to take a look at me sure. like and in action. Well, and he saw the ability to actually work. Right, to right. actually work. And he yeah. said, we're putting together a big program, you know, for the next year. They're going to run two cars, two Tigas in the uh, in the IMSA championship. And GTP lights. GTP lights. Yeah. And uh, they were going to run two uh, Tigas um, in, the, in the race then. And I started out at that level, um, working on that car, not as a number one, but just behind the number one. Yeah. And doing pit stops and stuff. So I went from actually knowing nothing about it really to doing that first pit stop in Daytona when the green flag and right. being like holy cow you know better figure this yeah. out quick yeah. because yeah. this is going to happen but Michael's workshop was a gr- fantastic training ground yeah. for anybody and the experience that I gained from him not only not only technical experience but just sort of saged wisdom action experience you know I learned a lot from him about how to negotiate, how to state your position, you know, how to look at things a little bit more in the big picture and so forth. And I really learned a ton from Michael. I really did. I owe him him a great deal of debt of gratitude, too. That kind of <laughs> dynamic of everyone's got to kind of do everything. Obviously, it's a great training ground for a young guy. That's, that's how Essex was set up. Would you say there's a modern version of that today? I mean, are, are, do you try to do that with guys like Cody? Yeah, uh, I, I, I do. I mean, Cody... Like Cody is an amazingly talented young man, and can oh wow, do, we have brownies. Can do all that. Holy crap, Brad, you're gonna have to hold on a minute. Yeah, okay. Brad, yeah. Everything, everything you're saying does not matter. Yeah, right. doesn't matter. Yeah, great brownie though. All right, <laughs> put cho- put cho- put chocolate in front of you. Yeah, it's all over. Thank you very much. This is yeah. amazing. Anyway, really, my my uh, my guy Charlie, and now David that works for me now, but my guy Charlie Boggs that's been with me since um, the beginning of this uh, GT program. He really has emulated more of my education because right. I've made him do everything. He now knows how to TIG weld. He now knows how to bend tube. He now knows how to build. He's an accomplished gearbox builder. Um, I've taught him how to drive trucks, you know, how to deal right. with, you know, the kid had no, did, the kid had no on concept about what a choke did. Right. You know, so oh, now, wow. okay. so now yeah. he's comfortable with a camper special. You pump it twice, pull a choke halfway out, and when it runs, bubbles a little bit. You push it in. Right. You know, for him, that concept was like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. It completely <laughs> points. You know, what right. are these? So he's got a really good an over overall education as far as that goes. Um, and I've been happy to teach him all that. And and actually, I feel fortunate to be able to teach him that. Right. And and not teach him, but give him the opportunity to learn it. And now my my like other my, by the way. my my other young yeah you yeah. can't really teach anybody anything you can just give them the opportunity to learn it yeah they have to you want know, that have yeah. to want it I learned that from my dad you know you you know you don't teach a dog anything you just encourage the right behavior, behavior yeah. that they already have yeah every morning's yeah. meeting is uh you know work hard work fast wear your radios 
you know, I tell them that yeah. because we have walkie talkies because well, we got some. Well, you have to because you have 17 buildings right. across, right. across College eight, Canyon. Eight, 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 eight. Spread eight. across College Canyon, right. Ohio slash Indiana. It's not that many. It's College, only eight. It's only eight. <laughs> but, you know, when we got those, I said, you know what? I'm trying to bring us up to the level of a good junkyard. <laughs> yeah, good junkyard. We can do this, guys. Guys, we can do this. Are you like the honorary mayor of College Canyon? No, no, no. The, actually, the mayor is my PA, uh, Allison. It's her stepdad. Oh, that's so. True. Okay. And you guys just missed it by two weeks. We had a incredible <laughs> blues festival here. Oh, that uh, damn two, World Challenge two, finale. Two, two weeks ago. Two weeks yeah, ago. I that. We had uh, we had a great time. Right. We had all these blues. The whole the parking lot behind the shop there yeah. was all made into one big stage area. Oh, wow. And we built a stage up off of one of our big flatbed trailers. Oh, wow. They went up almost 25, 30 feet in the air. We had lights. We had pro sound. We had some great players. Right. We had a bunch of great players from Chicago. It's right. not that far away. So got them to come down there. And we had big time. Stayed out late and got drunk. It's fun. <laughs> that was the Brad Kettler Blues Festival. Yes, that yeah. all that well, it's College Corner Blues. Honor, we're, we're declaring we you the honorary mayor. Yeah, you're the mayor of, of College, College Corner now. Right. So, uh, how did you go from a 25 year old learning to weld at Essex to like the guy now for Audi in, in Audi racing in North America? Just keeping my head down. Yeah. I mean, I, I I did a year. I did a year, almost two years with Michael, and then I did a year plus, almost two years or more with Phil Creighton. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for Spice for till they closed the doors. Um, I worked for Spice up until '91, ish, and that uh, was really sad because that was a cool, cool job. I loved yeah. that job. Right. I loved working in there. Um, got tied to Honda there. Yeah, got yeah. tied to Honda there. Built a, built a an NSX powered uh, Camel White car that was a Daytona winner which was a killer race car. Mm-hmm. I remember the, I've told, you know, I some of the times I, I share some of the old stories with some of the young guys, and especially when we talk about planning and technology and stuff like this. Do they want to hear it? Usually not. Okay. <laughs> but I, 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 th- they can relate to this one. And I, <clears throat> we had the application of that engine pretty well in the car, the Honda engine in the back of the, or the Acura engine in the back of the Spice. And this is the CompTech. Parker oh, Johnson, yeah, the yeah, yeah. very famous, it destroyed, destroyed everybody. Yeah. yeah, what would now be LMP2? Yeah, we had it pretty well fitted, pretty well mocked up. Had most of the systems like oh, pseudo operational in terms of what we were going to do with the clutch and the brakes and the, all the other stuff. The servo drive for the steering, we had that worked out. And so, Acura sent this group of engineers, and it was a classic group of Japanese engineers with cameras and. They all were b- about the same size, and you know, sure. they showed up, and they were all very polite, didn't speak much, and said yes a lot, and bowed, and <laughs> everything. And they were really cool. And they came in the shop, and they were very diligent, um, and they measured the car out. They measured out all the systems, and they had the master drawing for the for the engine management stuff, and they mapped it all out and measured everything, and and they were very diligent and worked really hard on this and then they shook everybody's hands said thank you very much thank you thank you thank you and then they left and so i asked the shop manager at that point i said well what what did this really accomplish he says well they're going to do the they're going to do the wiring harness for the engine control on the dashboard and i thought okay we'll see where this goes <laughs> you know i i wasn't like right. that i didn't have faith in the japanese guys or whatever but classically things of that nature at that point in time 
disasters. Well, okay. I assume you kind of got to build it right there next to the car. You do. And so if it's overseas, you do. Yeah. Yeah. you do. And from what I gather from you, you're totally fine just handing things off. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to be involved yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah, you can take that to yeah. the other side yeah. of the world. Yeah. So well, me. Uh, well, I am and I'm not. I mean, you know, you, you have to, you, you can't, you can't do everything yourself. So, you know, <laughs> you, uh, you have to delegate something. What was it? Uh, delegation without follow through is abdication. That's, uh, that's that old chestnut. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you hear that, Jason? Sean. <laughs> Business partner, Jason? Mm-hmm. Um, He's not listening. So, anyway, about three weeks later, four weeks later, Box arrives in the in the, the front office there, and it's from Japan. It's got all this Japanese writing on it, so we're going to open it up. There's a wiring harness inside. Took the thing out, laid it out on it. It was really nicely executed, all labeled in English, although some of the words were misspelled and stuff. <laughs> it was very clear where Close everything enough. went. Close <laughs> enough. Yeah. No, no question, no, no picking on anybody about that. Plug the thing in. Every single plug fit. Oh, okay. wow. So I'm, as I'm plugging this thing in, I'm like, I've never this ever right. seen right. this yeah. before. Right. Yeah. right. So I plug the whole thing in. And I remember we had fuel and stuff in the car. And I'm standing next to the door, and I, I'm Jonesy Morris, uh, uh, long since retired car builder, um, indie car guy, really talented guy. Jonesy Morris was standing there, and I said, "Well, Jonesy, it's a moment of truth." And he said, "Let her rip." And so flipped on the, I flipped on the main switch, and the alternator light came on. All the gauges tested. I was like, "That's a really good sign." We heard the fuel pumps fire for the moment. And, you know, checked it for neutral. And I remember to this day pushing the button. And I pushed the button. And the engine spun about two revolutions. Yeah. And just went wham. And was running. Wow. It didn't stutter. It didn't yeah. bobble. It didn't do anything. It was not running. And then it was running. That like was not the punchline I was waiting for. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> no. And I wasn't either. Because normally. And there you went know, Jonesy. <laughs> yeah. Normally fitting. R.I.P. Jonesy. Fitting a, a Ferrari or fitting a Pontiac or fitting a one of those days, you know, just turning on the main switch and seeing what did work was the beginning of the diagnostic yeah, agony yeah, right, yeah. to try to get the car to work. Right. And you normally allotted days for this. Yeah, sure. Because you never knew what right. you were going to have to track. <laughs> right. This thing lit up. The alternator light went off. I was like, I turned it off in shock. You're like, right. Whoa. That, that uh, didn't uh, happen. I, <laughs> was, I was so shocked. Right. I was like. Did that just? I said. I said. Did that just happen? And Jonesy's like, seems like it. You know. He said. Yeah. We looked around a little bit, checked some things. He said, start it up again. We started back up. That became the the behavior of that car. Yeah. Right. So I try to relate to these guys that, you know, we were able to do this before the internet existed. Right. You know. And this is possible. It is possible. And you have to think that maybe that that asset isn't there for you. And I like it when they realize that, you know, it's imp- that the here and now right in front of you is very, very important. Yeah. We have so much opportunity in our world today to say, oh, just send me a picture of that or forward that to me and it comes right here yeah. Yeah. and so forth. But y- you don't really get the right kind of engineering level thinking if it's also immediate. Yeah. Because if you're doing it. Maybe not being as thorough as you need to be. Not being as thorough as you need to be. Back. Right. You're not forced to think. Right. You're, you're not forced to innovate. Well, you can't go back and. You know, if you get the measurement wrong, you can always email you and get a photo back yeah. within right. an hour. Yeah. You know, right? So, yeah, right. Right. And, and you know, you, so in, in those in those days, you were really forced to think things through to completeness. 
and completeness is kind of a dirty word around Kettler Motor Works because it was one of my big tenants that I stomp my feet on all the time. I hate half-done projects, or I hate projects that are half, a phase is half done. Right. right. You know, and I, I really lean on completion aspect of it. The completion aspect of it, like when we send out a an engine that we service for a customer, or we send out a gearbox that's service for a customer, it's, we have to realize, I tell the guys all the time, think of the moment when they take the lid off of what we sent them. Yeah. What are they expecting in there? Right? right. They're not expecting the low-hanging fruit you want to give them. Yeah. They're expecting something better. They're expecting the check sheet to be right on top. They're expecting the, the tags to say that there's no oil in it and double-check the potentiometer right. to be attached. They expect it to be spotlessly clean yeah. and, you know, loved on. And every little thing about it, the seal's in place and all the lock wire's pretty and so forth. I said, there's only one chance to give that impression back to them. Yeah. And that's the moment they take the lid off the right, box. Right. Yeah. And so this is a really big thing. So, you know, not that I have any slackers, but if you don't hammer, you don't get that level. Yeah. Yeah. You don't achieve that level of, of giving that unit back or supp- giving that supply to them was something special and we tried it once in a while we put a note on there or you know charlie likes to send a page out of playboy or something (laughs) you know what i mean charlie's my guy yeah Yeah. try to try to do something you know to say hey you know we're we're with you here yeah you know we're thinking about you all right so really serious stuff here Mm -hmm. you know um you've done some amazing things for audi you've done some really cool stuff in the imsa days can you give us lena gates phone number sure (laughs) <laughs> there it is. We should have just asked that. Yeah, at the start, we, we like, didn't. Know. No, we we great, tried to thanks, get her. Brad. Well, we'll see you soon. We weren't sure where in in her duties if she was going to be in the U.S. during the, our our trip, and we we went through three or four different channels, and it's impossible to get to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so you're our guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're, you're the in. Lena loves me. You know, we so you we can put in a word for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Did yeah, she, that, uh, that was a big push from the from. Oh wow, he's got his phone out. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hold I, on, don't send her a picture. I'm not wearing a good shirt. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, is she like yeah. older, <laughs> exhausted creatives, or handsome young race car drivers? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Let's ask her. No, 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 no. I could ask her right now. I said, no. I'm getting no. interviewed right now. Which do you like? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well, let's see the exhausted guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She actually nope. sent me a text that I haven't answered recently. I'm just looking for it here. Oh, you're that guy. Yeah. Don't and, ruin uh, this for us. Yeah. And, you know, she wanted to catch up on doing some things. I mean, we were really we were really disappointed that we couldn't, that get to Le Mans. That yeah. we couldn't yeah. do Le Mans together. We really were because we were looking forward to that. Yeah, the last chat was, hope you're doing okay. Let me know when you're free to have a chat about life, the universe, and everything else. Lena. Oh, wow. There's a podcast. That sounds dedicated. like she's ready to be on Dinner Racers season three. Exactly. So. We're going to England. We're going to Europe. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, have you seen, uh, I assume you've seen Truth in 24. Okay. Because we were talking about this last night. Very first scene that introduces Brad Kettler to the Truth in 24. Sebring. Is you talking about opium in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Because they mm-hmm. said, like, yeah, we need to find two seconds. Yeah. Yep. And you're like, well, have you been smoking opium uh, from Amsterdam? Well, actually, <laughs> the, the, the setup from that was we were on the we were on the gri- we were on the qualifying grid in Long Beach. Okay. That's where that scene comes from. And I'm standing there with uh, uh, Christian Vec, who's one of my long old time colleagues. Christian. <laughs> Christian is the quintessential tight wooden German guy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, tight, right? Now it's relax time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And we'd gotten our asses handed to us the year before. I think we finished eighth and ninth. I mean, the cars were dreadful. Yeah. Um, they were awful. They couldn't go around the button hook turn in uh, that that hard, super hard back on itself right hander uh, in Long oh, Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long Beach. Okay, we couldn't 11. make it. Yeah, right. We yeah. could not make it. They had to apex it in a certain spot just to make it just around the corner. Right. We had a different steering rack geometry and, in fact, a whole different front end geometry. And it had been very controversial on the front end geometry because, you know, I'm not one of these guys that goes in there like Adrian Newey and says, oh, no, we got to read, we got to change all the roll points. We got, no, I'm not like that. What we were trying to do was get a little bit more camber gain and get a little bit more actual um, steering rack sure. out of it yeah, yeah. and try to keep the inclination somewhere in a reasonable state. So we designed some spacers and things, and we had this different geometry, but the car would turn a lot farther so the guys could actually hook right. the corner and get on the power. And it was pretty successful, but the car, the the spiders were very fast that, that mm -hmm. year. So the Germans, of course, they're a bit xenophobic about anything that's different that they didn't design. So immediately they're on the bandwagon that, you know, you know maybe this front-end geometry is not all that, right. and, you know, this is why we're you know, eight-tenths behind the Porsches or whatever. So then he walks up, and we're just getting ready to qualify. It's like 8.05 in the morning, you know, and getting the R10 ready to go is a two-and-a-half-hour project. So mm. we've been there since before 5 right? to heat the thing up and do the, the, the heat the diesel fuel and heat the intercoolers and heat the, the to get the thing to run and yeah. not smoke because we right. weren't allowed to smoke in public. Yeah, the like cars, cars yeah, from corporate, corporate, right? Corporate, yeah, corporate yeah, not, right, right. Yeah, cars could not smoke. So it became a big deal to kind of keep the intercoolers hot. Uh, I so know there's not many okay. opportunities where people have been in racing and they've had to come up with a way to heat Heat's the intercoolers. Air yeah, right. <laughs> but this was actually something we had to do yeah. to keep the cylinder temperature up so, so no that smoke, we would right. not have any smoke issues. So trying to keep all that into perspective and get this thing ready to go at 8.05 in the morning, and I'm already just kind of... <laughs> whatever today so Trish, Trish uh, Christian stomps up to me very awake and alert all coffeeed up and says for whatever reason Dr. Ulrich says we should be eight tenths faster than the Porsches <laughs> so he just tells me this statement right, right there on the grid like I'm supposed to say oh turn around and say okay guys flip that switch yeah. over to right. Right. So you know the deal <laughs> yeah right. Right. And, and so he he comes up to me all bright and breezy and delivers this message and and I'm like now is he doing it to be a no, no, oh, no, no. He's happy to tell me this message, and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my god! And so I'm standing there with my coffee, and I said, and I looked at him, and I said, I said, well, he got some good opium from Amsterdam because it ain't going to happen. <laughs> you know, we we've gone as fast as we're going to go in yeah, practice right. here, and that's really what it is. And then Christian Christian says, he says, I don't want to fight with you. That's what he says. <laughs> he says, I don't want to fight with you. He says, I'm not in the mood to fight with you. He says, let's just try. I said, okay. We'll try. Sure. We'll try. It's like not like we're going to do anything different than we were going to do 30 seconds ago. Yeah, right. right. Because right. right. he said, "Make it so." Make yeah. it so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Doctor Ulrich, when that, when that, <laughs> when that was, when that whole thing was was vetted and, and, and aired. You're like, oh, that's on TV. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Ava Maria uh, Veit, uh You guys may have met before. She's a communications uh, woman from from Sport Press and. Uh, she has a reputation for being pretty tough okay. and so forth. And uh, a lot of people take her the wrong way, but she's actually very sweet. Um, she she asked Dr. Ulrich when they aired it, she told him ahead of time that that was in there. And he said, well, let's see it and see what it looks like. Wait, so they didn't get 
they Ulrich didn't get like a preview. He did. To, okay. he, he got to preview it, okay. and he had the opportunity to take it out. Yeah, but I would have thought they'd had to yeah, say to take that. it out. So and okay. he, according to her, he laughed out loud <laughs> big time. He okay. thought it was absolutely hilarious. That's why I like him. Oh yeah, yeah. there's a lot to like there. He's there's a, great a lot man. of brands who, you know, having made more than my share of motorsport videos. Yeah. A brand that's willing to say, yeah, no, leave that kind of stuff in is so hard to find. We talked about that later, and I, actually Dr. Ulrich and I had a beer over it, and he said, I oh, left that in there. He said, you guys weren't disrespecting me. He said, you weren't, you know, you weren't calling me an idiot or you weren't, you know, doing anything like that. He said, you were interacting with each other, and that was, your, that was your real, that was your real comment. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's what, and that's what happened. And he said, in fact, if anything, it made me appreciate the relationship that, this is him talking. Yeah. Yeah. They made the, me uh, made him appreciate the relationship that Christian and I had, where I could be like I could be my American sarcastic yeah. Yeah. self, and he could be his you know you yeah, know German. smiling you know everything according to the spreadsheet right. self, um, you know German guy, and the, yet we, you know. His, I don't want to fight with you, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't really want to fight with you either. But right. you know, damn it, that's not really going to happen. Right. You know, so don't you know? Try to manage your expectations. Yeah. Um. You know, because we haven't been that fast in practice, and we're not suddenly going to sprint to the front. So, right. fix yeah. as it turned out, though, we did win the race. <laughs> we were first so it, it, it were you point eight seconds faster? Uh, we weren't in qualifying. Right. We were right where we expected to be in qualifying, right. but we won the race based on tire management. Okay. You got to work with, and you and you continue to get to work with some really really good drivers. Probably the best of the you know in the history of the sport. Was there one guy, and 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 I'm not saying like he was a dickhead, but is there one guy that you were like, I just cannot work with this guy. We just don't see eye to eye. I know he's talented. He respects me, but I just like. And if not, then I'm not leading you. I have no clue about half of those guys. But was there was there somebody in your career that you're like, God, I know that guy's good, but we just do not get on. Yeah, we had a couple of misconnections. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't not not everyone's going to turn up a winner. Sure. I mean, and you know, thinking back on it, they were fairly limited exposures to things. Um, you know, Jan Lammers. Sure. I just couldn't I couldn't connect with him. Yeah. I don't know why in particular. But we just had a, we were always seemed to be on the opposite sides of the wavelength. Sure. And uh, had a hard time understanding what he wanted in the car. Right. And he was frustrated and critical. And we already had a pretty good program going. And he really wanted to do a lot of stuff that was outside the box. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it. So we didn't really get on that well. Sure. Didier Tays. Huh. Yeah. Um, I got along with okay. But we just didn't see each other all that great and didn't connect all that well. Right. That's really the only two I can think of. Yeah. And I really hate to single those guys out because it wasn't like it was a bad experience. Well, it wasn't like a personal thing. It just didn't Right, didn't, didn't, didn't really work. Yeah. Stefan Johansson, yeah. I gave him a lot of great cars. He drove a lot of great times in my cars, but always seemed to have the absolute mother of all bad luck Yeah, for whatever reason. And, I mean, even him, he was like, I don't know what it is about <laughs> this program. Right. We can't, whenever I'm in it, we don't seem to, he wasn't it's picking on me. Together, right. It just, did, you know, the the stuff didn't fall in place. Right. But those are really the only three I can think of. Now, did you ever work with Johnny O'Connell or Dario Franchitti? Uh, Dario a little bit in okay. the World Challenge. Yeah, so you know the story about how O'Connell tried to run him over. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Everybody knows that one. Yeah. So on the opposite side of the hardest drivers to work with, and you can't pick Christensen, you can't pick McNish. Uh -huh. who, who would you take right now if you got you only get one pick? Out of the Audi guys, or whoever. whoever what are we gonna? What are we gonna race? We're gonna race a prototype at Le Mans right now, and you can't have McNish and you can't have 
Christensen. J.J. Leto. Leto. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a question. For sure. Yeah, he's legit. You know, yeah. I mean, you can only imagine, you know, when I knew those, when I got to really know those Scandinavian guys, you can only imagine the fear that the Brits had when they saw those boats heading for the shore. <laughs> because those guys are ruthless. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. are just absolutely there for whatever they can get out of it. Right. And, uh, and J.J., I had, you know, many many great days racing with him and he loved he loved us as a team and that made right. him that made him really easy to put up in that position but at the same time the guy was unbelievably fast right and incredibly committed and so forth and just a incredibly talented driver he was he he liked some odd things in the car he liked the back end a bit loose um he liked to feel the car uh, slide and then set, right? Slide, slide and then set, and then he he said that it was muscle memory that came from all his ice driving sure. when he was young, and he still it was an odd way to set a prototype up, but if you really gave him what he was looking for, he would reward you on the stopwatch yeah. without any question. He liked uncomfortably low tire pressures, <laughs> uh, and uncomfortable for you, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and things like that. But man, if you give him the goods, he would. He was a great uh, team inspiration. All of them are. All the great ones engage the team. Yeah. And that's not to say that he's better than anybody else, but the charisma that the guys from the from the seat bring to the team mm -hmm. is not to be underestimated. Sure, sure. And I have one particular short story about that, and I it was it was so five uh, Le Mans, and we were uh, we were there early for the warm up. It was a beautiful bright sunny day really really bright and you know how gorgeous it can be in the summer there you know in the early morning the yeah. lights so pretty and everything and the cars were out it was an eight o'clock warm-up and we'd let the group go we were really ready with our car i mean very ready you have to realize this was our fifth year with the r8 yeah the guys that were on that team had been working on that car for five years they knew how to put it together i knew how to engineer it and it was only just something that would manage to slip by that would be a problem yeah because we knew the car really well yeah. anyway we were very very restricted that year um very very slow due to the aco regulations we'd lost some restrictor and the car was really down on top speed but we worked on getting it to you know all the other elements as good as they could be yeah and we let the group go and we let jj go maybe a minute after the group and he was out by himself and he came by on his first flyer and uh, i was out in the pit lane um in the box all by myself and all the guys were down in the garage and it was on the jumbotron and i love the big i'm getting goosebumps now <laughs> i love the the telephoto shot from the first chicane looking up towards tet rouge yeah right and the cars they look like air <coughs> hockey pucks when they're, right. you know when they kind of when the they, they across, come right. out there and they slide across yeah. and so forth and right at that point in time ours came into view and i mean it really looked really looked good yeah i mean it looked like super, majestic su superb yeah. looked absolutely butter smooth yeah. drifted out there onto the edge and so forth and looked really really nice you know lights blazing cars immaculate clean you know looked really nice and right then on the moment right then at that moment jj keyed the radio and whether this was really true or not i asked him later and he really wouldn't answer me and uh he keyed the radio and he said boys the car is fantastic he says, I can put it anywhere I want. He says, it rides the curbs good. He says, it feels absolutely solid. It doesn't squeak and rattle. I mean, he gave us this little 
you know, this little description, yeah. this little 10-second description heading up towards First Chicane. He says, I think we're going to have a good day. He said, the car feels rock solid. And hearing that, all the guys in the garage heard it. And then watching from a distance the energy that exploded inside the in guys. the garage yeah, yeah, yeah. for that. For him to say that, because he didn't often hand that out. Sure, sure. He very he seldom it. handed that out. And uh, for him to say that, again, I asked him, was that really true or not? And he never really answered the question. But whether it was or it wasn't, the, the timing of that moment and those comments made a difference to those guys. Yeah. yeah. It did. He had a great ability to do that. Sure. Um, at times. And then he was also a big inspiration as a person. I mean, he stayed every night till the car was off the flat patch. Mm-hmm. He would have a chair and he would sit yeah. and hang out with the guys while they were lining it and setting it up. He wanted to know what they were doing. Yeah. Not that he was second guessing them or anything, but he wanted to be want to be a part of it. Part of it yeah. to really understand, you know, so he saw the guys, you know, fussing over the last half a millimeter of toe and yeah. and going through all their processes and how fussy and fastidious they were. So no, he was he was really one of my very very favorites, and he was fun to party with, and he was a fun <laughs> person. So one of the things we do on the show is a pass along question. Mm-hmm. So we had lunch with uh, Janet Guthrie, mm-hmm. first female to race the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago in Aspen. And mm-hmm. uh, her question for you, because she worked on her own race car, she built her own engines, uh, you know, very hands on, mm-hmm. didn't necessarily like working on the car but it was what it took to get her into the car mm-hmm. so her question for you is why do you enjoy actually working on cars oh it's that's easy i mean it's the it's the i don't know i machines machines to me um and i i do this a little bit too much which is witnessed by the collection of old crocs that i have collected around me but machines to me have a special sort of presence yeah and i mean even my farm all out here is really yeah, it's one of my favorite things. I love this. I love the thing, yeah. and the time I'm on that is my time. You know, when I'm out running that thing, I like the sound Not of on it. On the tractor, and, yeah, yeah, you know, and all that stuff. It's very gratifying to feel to see them come to life, mm-hmm. and I I consider it like a life, even though it isn't. We all know they're just machines. Sure, it's just stuff being executed through the algorithms that are in the ECU, and that's all that there is to it. But to me, there's more to it and so i enjoy it because i feel like in part you know in you know imparting part of your your spirit and imparting part of your skills and so forth you're pushing you're putting them in somewhere where they can speak back to you yeah i think that whenever you're building a project whether it's a a street rod or a muscle car or a race car or whatever i always take plenty of time to make sure i look at it and by looking at it really take it in in a whole presence yeah. to kind of take yeah. in the energy of the whole thing and i mean i in the workshop at champion down in florida i was always the last guy out of the shop um seemed like if not always um and when the cars when the r8s were done i we always tried to finish them one day before loading so they could sit on the ground and stuff and this was partially a psychological thing for the team to not be to thrashing on the thing the while load. it's all the way onto yeah. the tailgate yeah but I always loved that day before we loaded and the R8s would be sitting on the ground and turn the lights off in the shop and it would just have the night lights on and the eggshell epoxy floor and those two beasts sitting there at yeah. the end. I mean, they look so f- 
fucking bad sitting there, yeah. you know. They're all put together and low and very, very purposeful looking. And it was a great moment to kind of reflect on what they were. And I'd speak to them, yeah. you know, right. good night, ladies, you know, whatever, yeah. because they were important to me. Yeah. And, you know, they become that much part of your life. And, and, uh, and certain cars seem to have certain spirits. I know other people agree with me to a certain point, but some cars seem to have a more eager spirit to run than others. That might be the most like thoughtful answer we've ever yeah. gotten on that question. Yeah. Um, so our next guest. I think, I think, you know, really for me, one of the, my things that I was blessed with was an ability to kind of understand engines and stuff from right. an elemental point of view, not necessarily from an educational point of view, but you know, I try to impart this into Charlie and Dave and the other guys I work with. You know, when the motor's lean, when it sounds like when it's lean, when it's out of time, when it sounds like when it's out of time. So for so many people, the this doesn't exist. Sure. You know, because when, even when I was doing it, we were still tuning carburetors and changing emulsion tubes and yeah. doing plug chops and looking up the tailpipe. And these were our tools that we used to tune our motors right. to compete with. Now that's all done you know, on a chip, and you don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah, it. But right. if you know what's right, then you can hear it when it's not. Yeah, right. And so the guys will still, even up to this year, and there's been multiple reasons, you know, Cody, again, fantastic engineer and so forth. But we, I was called to the pit lane one time this year in Watkins Glen. I mean, there's 60 people up there. Right. And they call me on the radio. They say, BK, we need you to come to pit lane and listen to this engine. And I'm like, there's 60 of you up here. Right. Can't one of you hear it's missing a cylinder? Right. No. They can't. They might be able to tell something's wrong, but they really don't know what it is. Right. And then, you know, I'm, it's not like I've got any special gifts, but I walk up and I listen to it. I said, it's on the left side. It's an intake valve. It's on <laughs> the left bank. So we go back and we take the valve cover off the left, the left bank, and it's got a broken intake valve in cylinder number two. On on the follow follow up to that, our next guest in very short time, yeah, just a like couple hours. We're about to call him. Let him know we're late. Yeah, yeah. Um, is Mike Shank, mm -hmm. and you're familiar with Mike. He's mm -hmm. not too far away from here. Mm -hmm. uh, any question you want to ask Mike Shank? From yeah, why haven't we ever worked together? There we're we both these big program. We're both these programs from Ohio. Some Ohio boys. What's what's the matter? You know, I thought about that question a little bit, but I don't really have one for him. That's I mean, hard. I'd, 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 I'd like to, I'd, I'd kind of like to, you know, co comment on how he has gotten on TV several times losing his cool, but I know he's not proud of that, sure. you know, I'll and, and, anyway. and uh, well, you know, he's a passionate guy. You know, Kevin Doran's like that. Right. I mean, you know, I've been like that, you know, before, and sometimes people tend to catch us at our worst moments and. That's well. That's what they're hoping for. Yeah, that's what yeah, they're hoping like, for. Finally, Kettler's that's losing That's what we've it. been sitting here yeah. for three hours oh trying God. to get out of you. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But I know I've seen now cry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know I've seen. I know I've seen Michael pretty spun up on the t on the television before. He's a passionate team owner. You well, know, and if you guys finally do work together, we can take all the credit. Right. Yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we yeah, fixed racer. We, we made that deal. We happen. fixed racer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. We made yeah. a. But he's always around a good program. Kettler MSR. Yeah. Right. All right, so he, but he has really his his car. I mean, he shows up with quality, you know, yeah, yeah, quality program yeah, all the time. Deal, so yeah. No, I'm I'm pleased for it. I'm pleased for it to be where it is. I'm pleased for you to be part of it, Thanks. and we'll be pleased to race you guys. I mean, that's going to be, you know, the the be, the more better boutique branded 
cool stuff yeah. we get on the racetrack. It's better for yeah, all yeah. of us. We're way short on time, but there's there's a couple of key things that, that I do want to get into. The, that's actually an interesting point that you make. So you guys have literally 11 or 12 BOP calls you have to get onto a mm -hmm. year. You obviously have an appreciation to look at the 488 and go, yeah, they did a nice job. Mm -hmm. um, if you had, say, one, two BOP adjustments a year and then just had to sort of out-engineer yourself to get up to competing with the 488, let's, mm -hmm. say that, let's say that was the overdog car of the year. Mm -hmm. Are you cool with that? I mean, you have to represent Audi. You have to sell GT3 cars. You're involved in all of the business sides of, of the current customer nature of, of GT racing. Mm -hmm. um, when people say, like, what happened to the good old days and when you just had to sort of elevate your game and make the car faster, where do you stand on something like that? Because you actually have to sell these cars, so you know the expense mm -hmm. and where that number is as far as what people just won't go for anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's a very slippery slope, Sean, to get on an arms race. Yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the real... That's the really hard thing to define. Sure. Is what you can define as progress versus, you know, a technology race right. that is just going to price you out of. Well, especially because you're a customer-driven organization. Right. So if these GT3 cars are $3 million to get out there, it's mm -hmm. not going to make, make It doesn't sense. work. Yeah. It doesn't work. I mean, I, I have a great appreciation for the homologation, even though it takes a lot of the imagination yeah. out yeah. of the job. You, you can still do the job. Right. I mean, if you're a, a would-be designer that wants to work on rear wings for, form, you know, flexible rear wings for Formula One cars, the GT3 deal is not your thing. But if you're a, a small company or a uh, small prep shop or, a, you know, an owner or somebody that's going to use it to promote your own company or whatever, it's absolutely the right tool because you can not predict but you can broadcast pretty well into the expenses of it your the parts and the the stuff that you invest in the intellectual property the software the knowledge and so, so forth that you bring to your own car running your own car it's fairly stable in the fact that next year it's not all going to shift yep you're not all going to have to be on a different ECU or suddenly you've got to push to pass or you've got a different aero package you, you know the grand am and the stuff before that you know, really hurt us in terms of creating lots of redundant stuff that nobody. I have a whole semi trailer full of Grand Am spoilers, wheels, yeah, and right. wings, yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. forth. And, and it's absolutely sick. I mean, it's probably two hundred thousand dollars worth right. of stuff that right. is just it's ornaments. got nowhere yeah. to go. Right? It's, got, it's, yeah. it's ornaments, and I can't sell it because there's too many liabilities in it. I can't throw it away because my, you know, my country boy and me just can't throw a wing in the trash yeah. can. You right. Know? right. I can't do that, but I can't sell it to anybody. I can't allow it to show up on somebody's yeah. Honda Prelude. Right. You know, which would be it, fine if it did. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it it really wouldn't be because if you you know if the thing has an accident, it gets traced back. But to if us. you're the first fifteenth person to put out hashtag Brad Kettler yeah. rules, yeah. <laughs> right, right, maybe actually, but, yeah. But uh, you want to give some away? We can get rid of some stuff. For oh, you. I'm sure we, we could. We can raise your profile. I've there. got eighty wheels in that wow. in that trailer huh. that are all BBS three piece. Yeah. yeah. When was the last time you saw somebody racing on BBS three yeah. piece? Yeah. This was a grand damn directive. Oh, we yeah. had to yeah. build yeah. those wheels. Yeah. yeah. Those were old dumb. in the eighties. That was dumb. Yeah. 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 So dumb. these things don't help us all right. in the motor racing world. What does help us is if you buy a four ninety one four hundred ninety one thousand dollar Audi G T three car that you know that you're going to be able to use it for two to three years, if not longer. Right. Be able to use it all over the world. Yeah. Right. Any spare you buy, it's chances are nine out of ten, it's not going to change. Yeah. So from that point of view, it allows us to bring racing to a lot more people without making their appearance uh, a blip 
in time. So you, you sort of see it as a necessary evil to I keep co yeah. sustainable costs. Yeah. I, I do. For if you want to work teams. in this kind of racing, you have to you have to resolve yourself to the fact that maybe that true creative imagination is not there. Yeah, it's, there's yeah. another place. For there's that. another yeah. place for sure. it. And it, but but yet, good business can be made. Yeah. Good competition can be had. Absolutely. And good value can be created. Yeah. So we're beyond yeah, short on time. We're, we're, yeah. But speaking of budgets, I don't think we can leave without trying to get some sort of amazing P1 budget story. Feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Like, I'd just be curious to know what, you th what the number is. Yeah, what no, is not what exactly, is but like yeah. between X and Y. Like well, you know curious, what? Like you know what, guys? I, you know, not to be cagey on this, but honestly... I probably can't really speak to it very well because I never saw an invoice. Sure, sure, sure. You know, when you're dealing with when you're inside those factory programs, I, I don't know what our you, budget is. Yeah, you, you, I have you, no clue. You don't. You don't really. <laughs> you don't really see right. uh, what it is. I mean, there's no there's no invoice in the box that you get right. with the developmental brake pads. Right. Yeah. You just get them. Well, last thing I have is I'm, yeah. I'm, I need that Lena Lena Gade number. I'm gonna need that yeah. cell phone number. But what do you got, Sean? You good? I yeah. I'm not. I'm not going with that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, normally we'd say Continental's got the check, but you guys provided hospitality. Yeah. So yeah. Invoice so. Continental's uh, Sherry Herman. Here's yeah. her. Here's her yeah, address. Sherry. And, okay, uh, yeah, Sherry. Okay, it was expensive pot of chili. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate it, guys. Thanks for coming out here in the in the country. Thank you, sir. I'm finished. Wow, that was such a great episode. That guest really knew how to tell a story. Well, good, Ryan Eversley. I'm glad that you sat here with me as we went through it and you approve of this Brad Kettler episode. You're welcome, Sean. I'm right here. All right. Thanks to Brad for taking the time with us. It is uh, amazing how much he reminds me of myself, except for the fact that he's successful. So uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll get out of here and uh, actually keeping the love with music uh, within the paddock. We're going to turn over to some music from uh, a good friend of mine, a guy named Kyle Leo. Uh, who anybody within sort of the IMSA paddock knows the name. Kyle's been a uh, uh, can't call him a truck driver. But he's a, he's a mechanic that drives a truck. It's a very specific term he likes to have who's, who's been around. Uh, but uh, Kyle is uh, part of a, a great band called Suspects. Uh, they are available on SoundCloud. And uh, here's one sample of theirs called You Got Everything. 